We're in James chapter 5 tonight, verses 7 through 12. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And next week we will wrap up our study of the book of James. James goes on and he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, I don't know if you all noticed or not, but James uses the word patience quite a bit here. Look again at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be what? Patient. Now, I want to show you something that God's kind of opened my eyes to. If we had actually looked a little more closely, we might have realized or noticed that the scriptures have given us a few hints all through the scriptures that Jesus' return may not have happened as quickly as many have thought. Now, we're going to talk about the imminence of Jesus' return and the Bible teaching to be ready at any moment. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to see that I've started to realize that all through the scriptures, there's been these little hints that Jesus' return might have taken a little longer than people would have thought. Go ahead with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Peter says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the, prediction of the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Jump down to verse 8, sorry, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the fact that Peter would write to the church and he say, oh, by the way, in the last days, there's going to be people that come and say, where is this coming? Should have been a hint that there was going to be a period of time before Jesus' return. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Verses 1 through 8. Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? 
And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the one whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So here again, Paul is dealing with the fact that there are some people saying, well, the day of the Lord's already come. No, he says that's not going to happen for a little while. There's some things that are going to happen before the day of the Lord begins, and we're going to deal with those when we get into 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But again, if you look closely, there's a little hint there that the return of Jesus might be a little slower than some people might have thought. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Look at verses 48 through 51. In Matthew 24, starting in verse 58. 48, thank you. 24 verse 48. I'm glad someone's listening to me. I'm not. Matthew 24, verse 48. says this, But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and put with him the hypocrites in that place. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus in his teaching about his return in the coming kingdom, he says, if the guy thinks he's delayed, well, why would he think he's delayed unless there had been a little bit more of a period of time than some might have thought? Go to Matthew chapter 25. Look at verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet their bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was, what? Delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So again, in this parable that he uses, he actually says that he'd be delayed. Well, go to Matthew 25, verses 14 through 19 now. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also who he had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after how long? A long time. The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Isn't that interesting? There's been little hints there. All along in the scriptures. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Look at verses 36 through 39. The scripture says, For you have need of what? Endurance. Well, endurance isn't something that happens quickly. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. 
But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So again, in this passage, there's a hint to the fact that his return might not be as quick as some might have thought. Have you seen it? Now, we've missed it probably over all these years with our expecting of Jesus' return and looking for his return. And so the question is, were the early Christians wrong in expecting Jesus' return in their lifetime? The answer is no. Jesus told us all to be ready for his return at any moment. Go back to Matthew 24. Look at verses 42 through 44. So if you stick with me here, we're going to see this this balance that's going to be, the fact that Scripture said it'll be a little bit before He comes. There's going to be a period of time, but we're to be ready at any moment. Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. It says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So here, even though we see that there's hints in the scriptures that he'll be delayed in some people's understanding or slow as some people maybe count slowness. At the same time, we're to be ready at any moment because we don't know when he's going to be coming. Go to Matthew 25. Look at verses 11 through 13. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 11. It says, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, truly, truly, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We're to be watching and ready at any moment because we don't know when it's going to happen. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11, Paul says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light, children of the day, for we're not of the night. Or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet and the hope of and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So again, we're to be ready at any moment. Go to one more place. Go to Romans 13. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. And as I read this to you, keep in mind that this was written to first century Christians and also to us. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, it says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, 
but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So here, the early church was told that it's time to be ready. So we're to be ready at any moment for his return. Yet we're also to live with an understanding that this is his world and his plan. And we're to be patient as he does things in his time. So I, I'm going to put it in another way of putting it. Another way of looking at it is this. To be ready is to be saved by faith in Jesus' salvation. Now we, have we got it? We're back, okay. To be ready is to be saved by faith in Jesus' salvation and living obediently so that we're ready if Jesus, is return, if Jesus returns today. And to be patient is to live with other believers in the world in compassion and grace as Jesus does things in his own timetable which is not like ours. I'm going to read it to you again. I want you to, I don't want the sound system messing that up, make you miss this. To be ready is to be saved by faith in Jesus' salvation and living obediently so that we are ready if Jesus returns today. And to be patient is to live with other believers, and you're going to see this more tonight, and the world in compassion and grace as Jesus does his thing in his timetable which is not like ours. There's this balance of he could come at any moment, yet we're told to be patient and to have endurance. You know, there's lots of people that over the years have been so focused on the return of Christ. And I, be honest with you, myself, I could get so focused on that as well that you lose sight of the fact that if you get so focused on his return, well, I want to be ready, that all of a sudden you find yourself trying to interpret every little thing in the news and the blood moons and, and the, all this stuff, and you start trying to figure it out even though you're not supposed to, and you can get consumed with it to the point that after a while you'll start to get a little depressed, a little discouraged. And the Lord is ins instructing us tonight to say, I've told you all along, be ready and watching and patient at the same time. By the way, the only way we can be ready and watching and patient at the same time is to keep our eyes on who? Jesus, not the news. Not the world, but him. So let's go back now to James and see how we are to live in this world and with other believers as we wait patiently for Jesus' return. He gives us some instruction here about this. Now, he, he, he uses the farmer as an example. He says farmers are great examples of this type of patience. Look what he says here. He says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, if you know anything about farming, you had to do your work. You had to prepare the soil. You had to do the seed. You had to water it. But you also, does it, do any of us really understand how in the world we take a little seed, it goes into the dirt, next thing you know, it comes out something totally different and amazing? We don't know how that happens, you know, but... God does, and he's the one that takes it and turns it into something amazing. And in the same way, the farmer does what he's supposed to do, but he's totally dependent on whether or not, he doesn't even know what's going on underground, does he? He's waiting, and hopefully at a certain time, if he's done it enough, he'll start to recognize a sprout or whatever, but he's got to wait. And if it doesn't work out by God, he's in trouble. That's the way we all should be as well. So here's what I want to show you. I'm going to pull out to you a few things from this passage. Number one is this. Establish your heart. Look at this in verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. 
for the coming of the Lord is at hand. All right? Before we can act properly toward those around us, we must first make sure that we're ready for Jesus' return ourselves and let him encourage us so that we can encourage others who are waiting for his return. So you need to, before you can be an encouragement to the people around you to be ready and patient, you have to learn how yourself to be what? Ready and patient. That's why in 1 Peter 5, when Peter writes instructions to the elders, he says this. He says, take care of yourselves and the flock of God, which is under your care. Too many pastors don't spend any time feeding themselves because they're so busy trying to take care of everybody else. And the flock will suffer because of it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. By the way, I don't know if you've caught yet how much of 1 Thessalonians started to come out at the end of this study, and I started to realize God saying, this is where you're going next. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, Paul says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I'm not going to break this passage down. I want to preach on it so bad, but we'll wait till we get to Thessalonians. But here's what I want you to hear. He says, you need to get to the point where you won't grieve like the rest of those who have no hope. And if you understand what's coming and what God has promised, you then can encourage each other with these words. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Go to verses 9 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, there's something that's been coming out in a lot of these passages that you might not have caught yet, but hopefully you will, because it's something that God began to show me that I've never put together before, but we're going to get there in just a bit. But go to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4. And Isaiah, 30, Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4. It says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. So here we even see it in the Old Testament that we're to be encouraging each other. Hey, are you getting a little weary? Are you getting a little discouraged? Are you getting a little depressed? Are you getting a little anxious? Oh, let me tell you what God has promised and he's faithful to his word. But by the way, if you then say to me, well, what has he said? You're hopefully not going to say, well, I don't know. 
I just know that we're supposed to say, hang on. Well, hang on to what? Well, that's why you need to establish your heart. You need to establish your heart so that you're able to encourage the people around you. Don't say everything's going to be okay. What has God said? You put faith in what He's promised. You hang on to what He has given us in His Word. And if you don't know those things yourself, you can't encourage others. There's a second thing now, back in James chapter 5, verse 9. Number one was establish your own heart. Number two is do not grumble against one another. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, here's something that I've been hinting at, and I kind of hoped maybe some of you have caught it. If not, I'm going to show it to you. That not only did God start to show me as I was breaking this passage down, that there were lots of hints throughout the scripture that his return might seem delayed to a lot of people. But the second thing I started to notice was this. In most of the passages that encourage us about Jesus' return, we see instructions about living in harmony with each other. It's interesting. I started to notice that when the passages were talking about being ready for the return of Jesus, immediately coupled with it were instructions about how we're to treat each other in the, in the meantime. I never put those together. I know there's lots of one another passages and all. But in the passages that talk about being ready for the return of Jesus, looking for the return of Jesus... Coupled with it were a lot of instructions about not quarreling, not being mean, don't grumble against each other. Why would God, as he's wanting us to be ready for his return and looking for his return and ready for his return and patient in his return, why does he immediately with all of those say, and oh, by the way, treat each other well in that time period? Well, I'm going to show you why. Go to Romans chapter 15 first. I'm going to point out a few of these passages and then we're going to look at why and Trust me, why is important in these days that we live in? Romans 15, look at verses 4 through 7. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So, things that were written were written for our instruction and our encouragement as we're looking for Him. And then He says, oh, by the way, treat each other well in the process. Go to Galatians 6. Look at verses 9 and 10. Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. Again, the scriptures are full of hints that it was going to be a little bit before he came back. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Again, when we're getting weary because Jesus hadn't come yet, and when's he going to come, and when's this promise of his coming, and when you get weary, we're to encourage each other not to grow weary, and oh, at the same time, take opportunity to do good to everyone, and especially those who are saved. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another 
and build up one another just as you are doing. He's just talked about the fact that we're waiting for his return. We're not to miss it like the rest of the world. We're not destined for wrath. But we're not just to encourage each other as we're waiting for his return. We're to build each other up. Again, while we're waiting for his return and looking for his return and being ready for his return, but patient until he comes, he says, what's most important is how you treat each other right now. Go to Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through chapter 3, verse 2. Titus 2, starting in verse 11, and then we're going to go all the way to chapter 3, verse 2. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So again, in this section, remember, there wasn't chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 when, Titus, when Paul wrote this to Titus. In this letter, as he's saying, as we're looking for the return of Jesus Christ, this glorious hope that we all have, treat the world with respect and honor and humility and compassion and treat each other well by not quarreling. I think James put it, don't grumble against one another. Have you ever really wondered why we see not grumbling against one another and not quarreling with each other tied to waiting for Jesus' return? Have you ever put that together? Here's why. Because we will all have differing views about how we should be living in this wicked world and what each of us thinks should be our focus. And we want everyone else to see it the way we do. Because God knew that as his return was delayed in our minds, slow, as some people count slowness. And as the wickedness of the world is going to increase, just like the Bible said it would, and by the way, we agree that's happening, God also knew that in our possible frustration, in our desire to be in control of our own lives, let alone everybody else's, the temptation as Christians would be to quickly want to become the judge of everyone else around us as to how we should be responding in this world in which we live. Folks, don't you understand that the world is going to hell? And we need to... You ever hear that kind of teaching and preaching nowadays? Isn't this what Christians are doing to each other? Should we wear masks or not wear masks? And we went at each other. If you really love the people, you'd wear a mask. Well, God gave me freedom and... Everybody's got differing views. And as we've already been looking at in Romans 14, God says each should be fully convinced in their own mind when it comes to these certain areas that God's word hasn't specifically said. And we should not be the judge of people's hearts. Just because someone didn't wear a mask doesn't mean that they don't love people, although that's what Christians said. And God knew that as the world continues to get worse, and as things continue to get worse, in the frustration and anxiety that we start to feel, we would all start to attack each other, grumble against one another, 
quarrel with each other. Maybe even forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, even though we're supposed to be doing it more as we see the day approaching. Do you understand? Folks, we need to hear this today. We need to allow the Spirit of God to bring us back to what it means to be patient until the coming of the Lord. But Jim, something's got to be done. Well, the seed's in the dirt right now, and we got to wait. The seed's in the dirt, and we got to wait. we got to be patient. Why should we avoid especially grumbling against each other? Because the true judge is at the door. The one who really knows the hearts of everyone, the one who knows everybody's thoughts, the one who knows everybody's actions, he is at the door. Go to, back to James chapter 5. There's a third thing that we can learn about how to treat each other in the world during this time. The third thing he points out is in verses 10 and 11. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We're to learn from the prophets and from Job on how to be patient. Now, I'm going to explain what he means by this. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but the prophets and Job had to put up with people mocking them as they held on to, by faith, the words of God. God actually spoke to them and through them, but they too heard, when's this going to happen? Have you ever noticed that? If you go back and look, we're going to look at some of these passages that talk about the prophets of God were sent by God to a wicked nation of Israel to come and to preach and to teach that God is coming with judgment. It's going to be Babylon. It's going to be Assyria. It's going to be whatever. It's going to be a final day of judgment of the Lord and the day of the Lord. And, and the prophet Amos was sent by God to say, hey, you guys keep talking about the day of the Lord. I don't think you want to be here when that happens. It's not going to be a day of joy like you talk about. It's going to be a day of gloom. It's going to be like a guy who runs into his house to get away from a bear. And when he gets in, he puts his hand against the wall and goes, oh, and he gets bit by a snake. Because he thought he would escape, but he didn't. And Jeremiah would preach and teach, and God's saying this, and the people would say, we don't want to hear it. You're wacky. You're nuts. Isaiah was put inside a log, and the log was cut in two. Jeremiah got so tired of getting beat up, whenever God gave him the latest message, he would give it to his amanuensis, his scribe, and say, hey, just go read it. I'm tired of them making fun of me and beating me up and throwing me in a well. And folks, if we're going to be honest about who God is and what he's promised as the world continues to get worse, listen closely. Don't be shocked at the fact that we're going to look crazier and crazier in the eyes of the world. Oh, and especially those of us who believe that the kingdom doesn't fully come until Jesus steps foot on this earth will even be mocked and ridiculed by our brothers and sisters in Christ who have a different view of the end times, a different understanding of the kingdom of God, who have been taught that the church is going to bring in the kingdom, even though the Bible teaches the church will be removed 
And then the kingdom will finally come in fullness when Jesus comes. And I want to be used of God to encourage you during these days. Establish your heart. Don't grumble against one another. And learn about real patience from the prophets and from Job. Go to Isaiah chapter 5. Look at verses 18 through 20. Isaiah 5, verses 18 through 20. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sins as with cart ropes, who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work that we may see it. The counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Did you catch the sarcasm and the tone in that? Woe to those who say, well, where is God? You, you say you have a powerful God. Well, where is he? Let him come and show himself. Oh, we're going to hear that more and more as we get closer to the return. But he will. But Jim, I don't want to look stupid in the meantime. Pretty sure Noah looked stupid for a long time, didn't he? But who ultimately did they all say, Hey, Noah, let us in. Go to Jeremiah 17. Verses 14 through 18. Heal me, Lord. Jeremiah's praying, by the way, for deliverance here. Heal me, Lord, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those who be put to shame who persecute me but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. If you know anything about Jeremiah, there came a point where he said, you know what? There came a point where I just wanted to quit. I'm tired of doing this and suffering all this suffering. But then he goes on and he says, but I can't stop. It's a fire in my bones. I have to keep speaking. Years and years ago, when I was in seminary, I was taking a preaching course, and Dr. Don Wilton was my teaching professor in the Orleans Seminary at that time, and late 80s, early 90s, and he made this statement one day that at the time I thought, well, that's, that's not right. He said this, he said, if you can't do anything else, then preach. And I remember sitting there thinking, Lord, that's the last thing we need is people that can't do anything else, preaching. I mean, because I'm capable of, I used to build houses, I used to uh, build furniture, I used to work security. I've done a lot of things. I'm capable of doing other things. And then it hit me. You know what, I've had a, quite a few jobs in my lifetime, but there's, there's nothing else I can do. I can't do anything else. I have to preach. Do you understand? And that's what he was really saying was, he says, I'm not saying, are you capable of other things? 
He was saying, even though you're capable of other things, if you can't do anything else, that's when you know you're to be a preacher. He was teaching us on the call of God. I'm capable of a lot of stuff. I can't do anything else. My wife already knows there's not going to be any such thing as retirement. You know, our ministry has been putting money aside in a retirement account for us. I don't ever plan on using it because I'm never going to stop preaching. And Jeremiah, he said, Lord, they're making fun of me. They're saying, where is God? Listen to what he prays again. And I want this to be our heart as well. He said, I have not run away, verse 16. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Now, why, you say, why wasn't he saying give them mercy? Because he knew the word of the Lord. And does not God's word say those who reject him, he will judge? By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you do a study of the book of Isaiah and the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and you look at what happened during that time that Isaiah was prophesying and Jeremiah was prophesying and Ezekiel was prophesying, kind of in order there, sometime overlapping, as God was bringing the judgment on the nation of Israel from the Babylonians and all, when the Babylonians came in, even though Jeremiah had been rejected by the people of Israel, mocked by the people of Israel, beaten up, thrown into a well, left to die, when the Babylonians came in, they treated Jeremiah with respect and honor because they believed that he was a man of God who spoke the word of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? The people of Israel rejected him but even the wicked Babylonians knew that's a man of God, and they let him choose where he lived. They said, look, if you want to come into Babylon and live, we'll give you land, we'll give you prestige. If you want to stay in Jerusalem, because we're going to leave a few people in Jerusalem that we're going to manage from here. And as much as it would have been a lot easier to go to Babylon at that time, he knew that the word of the Lord had come to him that he was to stay with those people. Oh, and by the way, the people that he was told to stay and speak to, God said, oh, by the way, tell them, don't go look for help from Egypt. Don't go run to Egypt. And guess what they tried to do? It wasn't easy. So what did Jeremiah pray? He said this, Lord. He goes, Lord, I've been faithful to do what you've asked me to do. Let them be dismayed, but may I not be dismayed. They're not going to finish well. But I want to finish well. You need to establish your heart. So that you can be an encouragement to someone else. Go to Ezekiel chapter 12. It's not always easy being a mouthpiece for God. Ezekiel 12 verses 21 through 28. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, what is this proverb that you have, have about the land of Israel saying the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are near, and the fulfillment of every vision, for there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. It will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O rebellious house, 
I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. Keep reading. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies or prophesies times far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. So in that situation, again, they're mocking the prophet. Oh, we keep hearing of all these visions. It became a proverb in the land of Israel, but nothing ever happened. These prophets preach a good game. These Christians keep talking about the return of Jesus and the kingdom to come on this earth, but everything goes right on as it always has. I'm not even sure that God fellow they talk about is even real. How are you going to respond as it continues to get worse? How are you going to respond when the world says it's actually illegal to say some of the things that God has said? Be patient, folks, until the coming of the Lord. Don't grumble against one another, but you need to establish your heart so that you can encourage your brothers and sisters and learn from the patience of the prophets and from Job. Job, too, held on to God's word in strong faith, even though he had trouble seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in his suffering. And in the midst of severe persecution and mocking opposition, did you all ever notice that Job had to put up with a lot of, yeah, you say this stuff, but it ain't true. And those were his what? Those were his friends. We always look at the fact that Job went through his first trial when he lost his kids and he lost his, 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 his possessions. And then he had his second trial when he lost his health and his wife says, go ahead and curse God and just die. But we don't realize that he had a third trial. And that was a pretty long one too when his friends who had been sitting there for weeks saying nothing say, we can't, we can't be quiet anymore. Dude, this is because of you. And his friends let him have it. And he had to take it. Oh, did Job have a full understanding of what God was doing? No. But he hung on in faith and he humbled himself in the process. And God richly rewarded Job in the end for his faith. I got to be honest with you. Over the years as I've looked at what happened in Job's life. And how he lost his family. And, but he got a, twice as many kids in the second time. I remember years ago thinking, I'm not sure that would make me feel better. You know, I love Nicole and Elise and AJ, and if they were to be gone and God gave me six more instead, would I say, hey, this is better? But then God began to open my eyes that what he was showing, though, was this. If you're faithful in the midst of suffering here, in the life to come, it will be multiplied. And isn't that what Jesus promises? Blessed are those who have left houses and families and lands for my name's sake. They will receive in this life and the life to come a hundredfold. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has come into mind what God has prepared for those who love him. Paul says, I'm at the end of my life, but I know that there is a reward coming to me, a crown of righteousness, but not only to me, but to also who have longed for his appearing. Folks, let me encourage you, and I can't wait to get to First and Second Thessalonians when we come back in, 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 in September, because it is full of encouragement. And talking about the return, 
And as I read these words in Ezekiel where God said to Ezekiel, you tell them it's going to happen in your lifetime. There's a part of me that wants to leap and say, Lord, in my lifetime. And he says, be patient. Be ready. But be patient. But wouldn't it be cool if we were to hear God say in your lifetime? There's a fourth thing. Go back to James chapter five. There's a fourth thing. And this is really important because I don't think it's an accident that this was here. It almost reads, it almost reads like it was an add-on, doesn't it? Verses, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Isn't that interesting? That almost seems out of place. It just seems like a tag-on or an add-on of something Jesus taught about way back in Matthew. But I started to see that, remember, everything that God wrote through his prophets was breathed by him. This is here for a reason. Can't wait to show you why. This is what James is saying through the Holy Spirit. As you wait for Jesus' return and his timing, and as you boldly tell others what God has said, do not feel the need to add to what God has said. His words don't need emphasis. Listen closely. We want to share the words of God, and then we want to share this latest news story that seems to back it up. Like the word of God is not powerful enough by itself, but buddy, since the USA Today agrees, you understand what I'm saying? We all are guilty of that. We all want to say, hey, look, the scriptures are very clear. Know what he said and don't add to them. Go to Revelation 22. The very end of not only the book of Revelation, but the last book of the Bible, Jesus makes a very interesting and scary statement. Revelation 22, verses 18 through 20. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He says, by the way, if you add to what's been said here, I'm going to add the plagues that have been described in this book to you. And if you take away from what's been said here, like, well, he didn't really mean that. That doesn't really say that. You're going to lose your part in the tree of life. We all have a tendency to want to explain the scriptures so people will understand it. Actually, the more I walk with the Lord and the more he uses me to teach his word, you kind of already seen this over the years, haven't you? I don't do a whole lot except, hey, look at what the scripture says. Hey, look at what the scripture says. Hey, look at what the scripture says. You know why? Because I don't got a lot to say. But God has a lot to say. And I believe God's able to take his word and have it take root in our hearts. 
So I'm going to focus even more and more on what God has said. Well, Jim, what do you think about this latest thing that just happened? You won't find me getting too excited. God's word said this. But Jim, look what just happened over there in, in Africa. Yeah, that's fine. God's word said this. Let's just stay there. Let's not add to it. Let's not take away from it. Let's just stick with what he said. Go to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another against one another. I'm a little bit leery of the people that teach the Bible codes. You know, there's a secret here, and if you just take the every third word and multiply it by seven and flip that next sentence. Remember back in the day with records when you played them backwards and they said something different? I'm sure you take my audio recording, play it back, and probably some interesting stuff that comes out finally. But listen, don't go beyond what's written. Know what the scriptures have said, and I know this much. The, Jesus himself in Matthew 11, verses 25 and following said this. He said, Father, I thank you that you've hidden spiritual truth from the wise and the understanding and revealed it to little children, for such was your gracious will. If spiritual truth was understood through the people that were smart enough and had the calculator and the computer to figure out the Bible code, that goes against what Jesus has said. Beware of all those people who have found the latest thing that proves. No, no, no. God's word has said it all along. We don't need the latest thing that proves it. Do you understand? You felt like you needed to add emphasis to the word of God. Well, Jim, people are rejecting it. People are mocking it. People are, and I want them to believe. Then believe that the word of God is powerful and enough by itself. And just tell them what God has said. How many of you, and I'm not asked for a show of hands, have often thought to yourself, boy, if certain sir, such and so celebrity would get saved and get on fire for Jesus, then more people would believe. Because if that person would, and all their influence would be, and we think that if so-and-so gets saved and they become a witness, that celebrity's going to, oh, what have we just said about the power of the word of God? It needs, I know I'm not going to name any names, but it needs a celebrity to give it validity. We're all guilty of it. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. This is the passage where Jesus taught on this, but I want you to hear it. He says at the very, very end. He says this. He says, uh, in verse 30, uh, we'll start in verse 33, sorry, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. 
And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black without Clairol's help. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. time that we be patient until the coming of the Lord. Establish your heart. Learn from the farmers. They're faithful to do the work that they were given to do, and they leave the results to God. And they know there's going to be an early rain season and there's going to be a late rain season, and they get to ride it all out. We're to establish our own hearts. We're not to grumble against one another in the process because the tendency to get frustrated with our brothers and sisters who aren't taking as serious what's going on in the world around us or aren't acting like they should, whichever side of the aisle you're on, listen, don't go there. Because the real judge is standing at the door. and He's going to disclose everyone's hearts and he'll be everyone their commendation or their judgment. And we need to learn from the prophets and from Job and how God richly rewarded them even though in this life, they had it tough. By the way, when we come back next week, we're going to be dealing with that really tricky passage section of Scripture where it talks about healing and anointing with oil. And I want you to be prepared for this. I can't wait to show you it's connected with what we just talked about and the entire book of James. When you read the last verses of James connected to the whole of James, you realize this isn't talking about physical healing as much as we've made it. That would be totally out of place. There's a depth here tied to suffering and spiritual healing of our brothers and sisters that I can't wait to show you, but that's next week. Until then, I love you. We'll see you then.